She has to fly. <laughs> Those are figure skates, pal. He's so good. He's going to make you cry. Topic. Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast. A podcast sometimes hosted by two childhood best friends, always dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Kate, a writer and a midwife. And I'm Lori, a writer and a pop culture lover. Today we're here to warm your cold, cold hearts as we revisit The Cutting Edge, a film about ice princesses, panchenkos, and of course, topics. But before we get into this perfectly 90s adaptation of The Taming of the Shrew, I'd like to remind you that we have a Patreon. For just $5 or more a month, you'll get access to a bunch of exclusive episodes and so, so much more. But most importantly, your money goes to supporting the pod. So visit patreon.com forward slash the Untitled Gen X podcast. But enough about all that. The Cutting Edge, Kate. Oh, I love this movie so much. What is your history with this iconic classic? I also love it so much. In fact, I think many years ago, you made a post on Facebook and were like, The Cutting Edge is on Netflix. And then I had a really horrible day at work, like just a long, stressful, horrible day at work. And I came home and I saw that post and I was like, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> so I watched it and it just made my whole life better. Remind me what year it came out? Uh, it came out in 92. Oh, I was quite old. <laughs> yes, yes. We were in high school. I did have the VHS. So I'm guessing that I probably forced you to watch it often. Yeah. Because it's just so good. It just makes you feel good. It's a comfort classic. It really, it's so good. It's just fun and delightful. And more often than it should probably go through my mind is that part where they're like, I think she got caught up in his lederhosen. <laughs> classic. I really love this movie. And it was so fun to go back and revisit it. It is a great film to just throw on, maybe while you're cleaning, doing other things, paying bills, budgeting, or if you just don't feel good, or you had a bad day, or you're sad. It just, it feels like a cozy blanket, and it's fun to look at, and who doesn't love ice skating, and who doesn't love, I hate him so much that I secretly love him, and right. it's just, it's all good. It is good. It's great. And I forgot until your intro that it is an adaptation of The Taming of the Shrew. 100%. The screenplay was written by Tony Gilroy. He's written a lot of cool stuff. He wrote The Devil's Advocate. He co-wrote one of your favorite films, <laughs> Armageddon. Kate was obsessed with Armageddon. I still love it. I still It still makes me happy to watch it. I mean, you know, it's not like a great cinematic historical piece but shut it, your um, mouth yes it is Liv Tyler Ben Affleck Bruce Willis oh who's the guy who right who uh goes crazy on the ship I mean I've seen it once to your 2000 times oh, really oh gosh it's so good uh I can't think of his name he's a really good actor is that Steve Buscemi yes yes God, <laughs> love him what is not to love I know we should cover it someday we should yeah yeah. I mean, he also wrote like all the Bourne movies. Oh, yeah. You know, Identity, Supremacy, Ultimatum, Legacy. Yeah. So this guy, you know, he's a great writer. The writing was fun. 
And Mm -hmm. the chemistry between the characters, it was fantastic. This was directed by Michael Paul Glazer, uh, Starsky from Starsky and Hutch, the OG. Oh. Yeah. Wow, I completely forgot that show existed until this very moment. Yeah, until, like you asked, the film was released in 92, March 27th, 92, and it made so many dollars. It grossed over $25 million domestically. Did you, how much did it cost to make? Did you find it? I could not find it. In fact, there is so little written about this movie, and I don't know why. There has to be a rich history here. There's not that much. Huh, that's so interesting. The most I found on it, honestly, was this really fantastic interview with D.B. Sweeney talking about the cutting edge like 30 years later or whatever, like Mm -hmm. his memories of it. And he is still just as delightful today. But yeah, there wasn't a lot. I mean, I I found some stuff. I did some digging. You know, I'm a journalist. Right, right. (laughs) All right, let's get into the story. Okay. So we open on the 1988 Winter Olympic Games in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And hockey player Doug Dorsey, played by our beloved D.B. Sweeney, he wakes up in a panic at like one in the afternoon because uh, he slept with some stranger woman last night, right? She's in his bed and he wakes up late. He's like, oh, shit, I'm late for my Olympic hockey game. Right. I mean, I think she is also an Olympic athlete. Maybe. It seems like they're in the the Olympic Village. Yes. Is she German? Because she said, I asked you if you wanted an alarm. And he said, right. And I said, nine. And she's like, right, nine. Because like, that means no. I didn't get that whole, (laughs) oh my God, I'm so dumb. I did not get that. For what it's worth, I have heard that there is a lot of sex happening in the Olympic Village. It surprises me not at all uh, because you have all these like young, very fit athletes stressed out in one place together. (laughs) I would hope that because, you know, like I feel like they always say like you shouldn't like expend the energy on sex before some big event. So like hopefully they wait till their event is over. But yeah. Oh, I imagine. Yeah. It's like the most stressful summer camp ever. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine? So, okay. Meanwhile, Kate Mosley, played by Myra Kelly. She is also at the Olympic Games, and she's practicing her figure skating routine with her partner. Kate's coach is, like, utterly unimpressed. She blames both her coach, your coaching style sucks, and I have a horrible partner because, like, nothing is ever Kate's fault. Do you notice? Oh, right. No, it's never her fault because she is, like, the privileged princess. Absolutely. But in fairness to her, her coach is a jerk. He's mean. I mean, coaches are mean. No, they don't have to be. But like, I I love that scene because he says to her, like, the only one thing I want to see is your ass in the air. And she turns around, skates away. And as she's skating away, she lifts the skirt on her little outfit. Uh, so he sees her ass skating away, which yes, I feel does. like, good for you, Kate. So Doug's super late. He's like, oh, shit. And as he's running to the ice rink, Kate's rich dad with his skinny little mustache (laughs) tells her, you need to go apologize to your coach. She refuses. She storms off and she's making her way through the back hallways, whatever. Doug is running. They crash in the hallway. And these two, they exchange some snarky quips. Doug just leaves her all splat on the ground before rushing to the ice because, girl, he's late. 
He's got a game. They're already doing the national anthem. Gotta be there. So let's stop casting for Kate. The role came down to Moira Kelly and Gabrielle Anwar. Do you remember Mm -hmm. Gabrielle Anwar? She's the one in Scent of a Woman. Oh, wait. Isn't she the one? Wild hearts can't be broken. Oh, my God. We have to cover it. I love that. Wild hearts can't be broken. She had to dive with the horse off of the thing. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. So it came down to those two. But as we know, Myra nabbed the role. And D.B. Sweeney said of her, we're both from Long Island, New York. So it felt like I was riding on the school bus with one of the girls I went to high school with, you know, in the best possible way. So they connected early on. They had a true affinity for each other. Uh, They still both speak about each other in the highest regard. And yeah, they were just like sort of besties on this film. And I love knowing that backstory. Yeah. And I think their connection and chemistry and like feelings about each other are so important because it's a delicate thing to make it believable that these people hate each other so much and then fall in love, right? Oh, yeah, most definitely. If the chemistry is not right, you're just like, yeah, that didn't happen. Exactly. And maybe what it came down to is they just had better chemistry than he did with Gabrielle Anwar. So I couldn't find much about the casting for Doug's character, but I do know that D.B. Sweeney was interested in the role from the very beginning because he thought the script was so smart. He loved that it was wholesome. Mm-hmm. That, you know, like you, your whole family could watch it. Your grandma, right. you know, your kids, you can all watch it. You're not going to have any awkward it. moments during a sex no. scene where you're like, everybody will stare at the screen, stare at the screen. <laughs> right. Like you might have to define orgasmic for the younger crowd, but, you know, it it was fun. And um, he loved the power play between the characters. So that was what really turned him on. Well, and I wondered too, like, how important was it that the actors... Obviously, there were stunt skaters and professional skaters doing a lot of it. Mm -hmm. But how important was it that the actors at least felt comfortable on the ice? Yes. Actually, D.B. Sweeney had never ice skated before this film. Oh. He said, I didn't play hockey, but the cutting edge changed my life. They hired me knowing I couldn't skate. But there were three months until we started filming. And they said, okay, we're going to hire a hockey coach if you feel like skating. I think they probably thought I'd do it a couple of days a week. I skated every day for three months. So he did a lot of his own skating. Meanwhile, Myra had to rely on stunt doubles almost exclusively, even just for basic skating sequences, because she fractured her leg on the very first week of filming. Oh, no. So her brother in real life played hockey, and she didn't know how to skate. So he took her to Rockefeller Center to kind of, like, teach her how to skate. And when she met, I don't know if it was the director or the casting director, to, like, kind of show what she could do prior to casting, her brother was there, and they were kind of fighting on the ice. And they were like, oh, I like this dynamic. Like, she's a spitfire. (laughs) She's got a lot of spirit and moxie. And look at her on the ice. And she's, you know, giving it right back. And that was what they needed in that character. So, yeah. But this is a really fun fact. She was actually cast as Kit Keller, Gina Davis's kid sister in A League of Their Own. Oh. Okay. But she had to back out of that role because of this injury. 
from the cutting edge. So that part went to Lori Petty. It is interesting because she doesn't look like Gina Davis, like at all. No, I can't. I mean, not that like Lori Petty does either, but like, I feel like Lori Petty was so charming in that role. Oh, I know. And it's so hard for me to picture anyone else doing it. I mean, I'm sure she would have been good in her own right, and I just can't picture it. But like Lori Petty's performance on that was just very endearing. Yeah, so that was the the part that never was, all because of the cutting edge. Right. <laughs> Man. Yeah, it's funny because in my head, I'm like, did they consider Paul Rudd for the male lead? Because I feel like it could have easily gone that way. But I don't... I think he's too young. Well, and he's so nice, right? Like, he's so... Like, it would be hard for me to, like, believe the, like, mean parts of him mm-hmm. in there, you know? So D.B. Sweeney was a, a good cast for that. What has he done since then? You know, he did a movie in 2006. I think it was called Two Tickets to Paradise, actually with Myra Kelly. Uh, they reunited on screen that he, like, directed and co-wrote or co-directed and co-wrote. Um, He's done some stuff. He's, like, here and there, Yeah. And he was so good in this role. Like, he had that edge, that sort of blue collar, rough around the edges edge that you needed in this character. It just felt so authentic. I don't know if that's authentic to him, but I believed it. Yeah. Like, he had the sweetness and the edge that was necessary for that character to be able to to pull it off because he wasn't a jerk but he also like wasn't gonna take shit from her you know no, he dished it back this is a quality i like in my men oh me as well yeah i like it's funny because in my men i have so many in your men yeah (laughs) when i am like meeting people through online dating which if you don't have to do that go give a big hug to your partner people will often ask like oh what is it that you're looking for and i'm like i need somebody with I'm, I'm like, just this, like an edge, a little bit of an edge. Like I a can't, cutting edge. I can't, and, and like maybe a topic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I can't really explain it. And I don't know it until I see it. Mm. But if it's not there, it will never work. Right. I, I just love him in this role. And so what we find out is Doug is a junior from Michigan State competing in the Olympics here. He's a phenom and a bunch of NHL teams want to recruit him. So his star is on the rise and we get a cool, intense hockey sequence and Doug scores a goal against Germany, but he's then knocked so hard against the wall purposefully by an opposing player that his helmet flies off. This is never a good sign. We never want a helmet to fly off. Brains are very sensitive, especially (laughs) when they're hit from the side. They are not meant to take side impact. Mm. Um, Look at me being all nursey. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It just isn't like it doesn't do well and it causes damage, which is exactly what happens to poor Doug. Yes. And meanwhile, at Kate's Olympic performance, she gets all tangled up in her partner. He drops her on the ice. And with that, her hopes for Olympic gold are destroyed. We're now with Doug at the doctor's where he learns he has lost 18 degrees of peripheral vision in his right eye because of this injury. And his doc is basically like, "Uh, you're not going to be a professional hockey player. You've got a blind side and there's no Sandra Bullock. (laughs) No, all we have is a Myra Kelly. Yeah. So it's, it's really sad. He's just devastated. It's a sad scene. He's just like, but 
there's like a surgery, like there's a, there's like a thing, like surely somebody can fix this. But yeah, no. But no, no. It's now two years later and Doug is working construction and he heads into his brother's bar, which is called Dorsey's Penalty Box. And I love that. It's so great. And um, his brother is like, hey, man, I need you to, like, bartend, lend a hand here. And Doug refuses because he's on his way to play in an amateur hockey league. You know, his brother's super pissed about this. And he told him, you know what? You got a letter from the Detroit Red Wings. You know it's a rejection letter, Doug. Like, don't be stupid. It's just like all the other ones that came before it. And things get heated between them. And his brother basically tells him, like, you have got to let go of this dream. It's not going to happen for you. You're over, Doug. (laughs) I got a little nursey, even though I'm not a nurse, and I looked up some stats. According to the National Institute of Health, the link between depression and sports-related injury is significant, and um, 40 to 50% of college athletes sustain at least one athletic injury. Yeah. Think about the things they're having their body do and or the things that are like flying at their bodies, you know? In a study of more than 900 NCAA athletes, they found that 33% of athletes with an injury and 27% of uninjured athletes could be considered depressed. Yeah. I mean, imagine like in order to be at the top of your sport, right? It requires a certain amount of like dedication and probably perfectionism to some degree and like really high expectations of yourself. So that alone, right? That alone and like, whether you're successful or not successful in terms of winning, that's just a lot of pressure. And actually watching this movie through the lens of like recent Olympic events was really interesting. I was Mm -hmm. thinking about Simone Biles, right? Mm -hmm. And how she chose to step back. She chose her mental health. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about that and that at the time this movie was out that was just unthinkable. Like no one would do that. And I think that that was one of the like bravest things that a person could have done. And right, like that's when you know who you are is when the stakes are really high and you make a decision that isn't maybe in line with what people want you to do, but in line with what is best for yourself. Like that's super powerful. To get to this level, you have to devote so much of your life into this one thing. And so often everything around it falls apart. Like you don't have maybe the relationships that you need to support you if this ever ends. You know, you maybe don't have the education. You maybe don't have, you sacrifice so much to be able to give everything to this one thing. Once that one thing goes away or you can't do it anymore, God, you lose those skills. You lose that dream. Like what is left? Not a lot. Yeah, it's, I mean, having not been a serious athlete myself, <laughs> I, mean, same. <laughs> um, I can't quite imagine it. But yeah, if you have something that you love that you suddenly can't do, or that just has a natural expiration date, right? Like, um, people's bodies are not going to be able to perform at that level Forever. as they yeah. get older yeah. uh, for most sports. Mm-hmm. So to be sort of at the big right he was at the beginning of his career he yes. was in college he was being recruited for professional teams and then to be taken out right in the middle of it and he loved it like that's the thing like when you look at these two characters like you don't get the sense that she loves being on the ice no she doesn't so her whole situation is really different but he just loves it which is i think why he agrees to come and do this thing that's like so 
out of character for a hockey player. So out of scope. So we cut to Kate. She's just generally unimpressed with her latest partner. Her new skating coach, Anton Pamchenko, uh, tells her dad that she really should have been a single skater because (laughs) this is her eighth partner in two years. She's notoriously picky, stubborn, unsatisfied, and people call her a bitch because she is. So the coach tells her dad, like, there's literally no one else for her to try. We have tried everybody. Right. Like, the coach says, we're at the bottom of the barrel. And he says, then find another barrel. And so he does. (laughs) And so he does. He approaches Dorsey at his work. You know, he's like on a construction site. Oh my gosh, the ergonomics of that scene. He's like literally like (laughs) Like hanging hanging. from a rafter to like put in a nail. And like that, you can't keep doing that. You're going to ruin your body. So the coach approaches him and is like, well, I've got this like opportunity for you. And he, he dangles these skates and Doug's like, those are figure skates, pal. So Doug agrees, okay, I'll go and try this out, whatever. And um, when the driver pulls up to Kate's mansion, he is totally wowed. But the coolest thing ever about this mansion is that it literally houses an ice rink. I mean, with fresh ice every single day just for her. I mean, that is some serious money. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine to have, like, your own Zamboni. Imagine the electricity to keep that place frozen, especially in the summer. God. So we see Kate skating. She's looking like a vision, an angelic vision in all white. And Doug shows up, and she's totally annoyed that he's there to try out. I mean, they can't even shake hands without her criticizing how rough his hands are. I mean, the man works construction. I was going to say, like, he just has so many great responses to like the cranky things that she says and he's like well i know they're a little rough but i've never had any complaints (laughs) like she's just such a snotty little brat she asks her coach what is this the final stages of ukrainian alcohol psychosis like you are insane she doesn't even want to entertain a tryout she's like get him out of my building and Doug's like, I don't need this bullshit the coach just gets pissed at both of them and he he barks at them he's like shut up Let's get started. On the ice, Doug asks, what's this thing on the front of the skate? And they're <laughs> like, "Um, that's called a toe pick. And he's like, all right, I don't know. I don't know what's, what's, that what's up with that? Yeah. <laughs> These two are on the ice. They're exchanging lively insults. And Doug is having a hard time keeping up with Kate. He falls and Kate laughs. Toe pick. Toe pick. It's time for him to lift her up, and and he does. And when the coach is like, okay, put her down, he just drops her deliberately on her butt. I'm like, ow, tailbone. But, like, he's dishing it back. She's being a bitch, and he's like, I'm not going to stand for it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she's very used to having consequences for her actions. (laughs) Clearly not. (laughs) So, uh, or having anybody, like, stand up to her. Because, like, I mean, her dad, like, she doesn't really stand up to her dad, right? And then, in turn, no one stands up to her. Well, she definitely needs to be the one in control. She usually is. She gets to call the shots with her partners and what's done and what isn't and who coaches her and who doesn't. So, you know, Kate's rich daddy calls Doug into his office and tells him, look, it's not going to work out. Like, you should feel honored that you were even called. 
You know, I'm going to write you a check for your time. And Doug's like, I was not given a fair shot here. Kate is difficult. And her dad is like, yeah, well, she grew up without a mom and, you know, she's competitive. So like, you know, and her dad wants him to know it's not personal. He begins sorting through all of these like really impressive figure skating partner profiles, you know, that didn't work out one by one. He crumbles them up. Right. <laughs> trying to throw them into a basket. It's not working. And then Doug takes his check, crumbles it up. Actually, he doesn't do it with the check first. He does it with one of the profiles. The dad okay. hands him the profiles and he crumples it up and he throws it without looking. And the dad goes, hmm, lucky shot. So he grabs another profile and does the same thing and makes it again. And the dad's like, hmm. And then he holds up the check and says, double or nothing. And the dad's like, all right, you got a deal. And that's when he crumples up the check and throws. Which, I mean, honestly, that was a, a risk because I'm sure that was a generous check, whatever that check was. I was pausing it. I was trying to see. I really <laughs> wanted to know how much that check was for. They have a lot of money. Yeah. So the idea that he might get nothing if he couldn't make it work out. Uh, but it's also good because it gives us like a reason that he maybe is willing to put up with so much of the nonsense that he has to deal with. Exactly. And so Kate is all too quick to be outside the door waiting to say goodbye and like, thanks for coming. And I'm like, sorry, it didn't work out. <laughs> and um, this is when her dad tells her, you're all out of options. And um, we've reached the end of the line. Basically, Doug is staying. And she's just, oh. The look on her face is classic. So like, she's just like, but what, huh? Yeah. So we're now at practice. And Kate doesn't actually think Doug can skate at all. To which he tells her in another classic Doug Dorsey line, there's only two things I do really well. And skating's the other one. So good. Mm -hmm. Love it. And there's definitely like a lot of play in their relationship between one. I think it comes off as sort of that she's prudish. But I think the truth is she's just very naive to a lot of the ways of the world. I mean, she has a boyfriend. Is he in Europe doing something? With yeah, he's business? in London. He's a Harvard MBA. He works for her rich daddy. And Doug says, yeah, I bet you look pretty good from a few thousand miles away. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that he's like so worldly in many ways and yes. she's so sheltered and naive uh, is definitely a place. So like he says stuff like that. And I think one of the things that she does really well as an actress is that acting isn't just saying your lines, right? It's reacting to what's happening. And she does a really good job of that. And you really do see the shock, but then she doesn't want to look shocked. And so that all comes across just in her expression. So Yeah, I thought so too. There were so many times her face was just, it was perfection. Like yeah. you saw it all. She didn't have to say a word. You, you got the whole gist of the range of emotions she was feeling in that moment, yeah. just from the look on her face. So Kate basically just hates everything about Doug, right? Like he breathes with his mouth open, his hands are rough, he can't skate, he sucks. This is when we get the very, very fun toe pick montage. It's a classic. Toe pick. Doug is being clumsy on the ice and Kate is just this like graceful swan. Doug is just taking a beating. Yeah. And in one scene, we see like ice packs strapped oh all over favorite. his poor body. Like they're like tucked into like his... Uh, boxers Shorts. and like he stands up from the table and it's just like 
<laughs> Which, I mean, can you imagine how unpleasant it is to fall on, like, the grass, right? Or even, like, concrete. But, like, ice... Ice is hard. It's cold. It's very unforgiving. It's not easy to get up from. (laughs) He's tired of looking like a dumbass in front of Kate. Kate always has the upper hand. And this is when he challenges her to a game of hockey. She's like, how hard can hockey possibly be? Right. We get a hockey montage. This film is full of montages, you know, and this is the missing element of films today. I need more montages in my romantic movies are so great and like they have the workout montage and it starts out with them running and I'm like every time I see a good running montage in a movie I'm like I should take up running (laughs) which yeah Uh, but true story because I have in my life believe it or not done a few sprint triathlons and I was very bad the first time I started and I went to the gym a lot to train and That's how I got through it, is I would imagine that this was a part in the montage. This was the beginning of the montage. And then you were going to string all these parts together and have me at the finish line of the triathlon. And that is what happened, friends. Set to some really, really awesome, cheesy music. I had a playlist that was like Eye of the Tiger. Sure. And the fight song. Oh, yes. And then, interestingly, but very inspiring, that Eminem song about... Lose Yourself. Hell yeah. Yeah, yes. I love the challenge montages because in the end, we did this thing. I don't know. It just feels so good. The montage. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I feel it is an underused technique in modern film. Yes. If only we could do them in real life. But they're playing hockey. Kate's not good at it. For the first time in her She's life, terrible. Kate is not good at something. She does not know what to do with this information. She's just getting frustrated. She's getting more irritable. Meanwhile, Doug is just egging her on. I mean, he is loving this so much. She she can't score a single goal. And there's a point where she gets so upset. She lets out this raging scream scream as she hits the puck as hard (laughs) as she possibly can. And in the very next frame, we see Doug being wheeled away on a gurney at the hospital. Because the puck hit him in the face. And she's telling her coach as they're in the waiting room that it wasn't her fault. Because you know what? It never is. It's not my fault. Nothing is Kate's fault. And he tells her, you're just scared. And she's like, why would I be scared? Because Doug's your new partner. So, like, now you're scared because you actually have somebody who can, like, potentially do this. Oh, the wise coach. And this, Kate, is when we get the workout montage. Mm. There's running. There's weightlifting. They're doing ballet. They're there's doing There's ab work. There's, there's, yeah. There's sweat. There is so much There's a lot good of sweat. sweat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny when he's trying to do, like, whatever that ballet thing is. <laughs> and he's, I'm like, this would be me. <laughs> So good. She looks so good and graceful, and he's like this big beast of a man. And he's like, Right. He's <laughs> like, You want me to put my foot on this bar and reach my toes? Uh, like, what? <laughs> yeah. My dream as a child was to have like a mirror and a ballet bar in my oh house. Oh my I, God. I know. Right? Like, yes. I, I, I didn't ever take ballet, but like, it was my dream. It's just so graceful. Right. Yeah. And like, maybe. Had I taken ballet, I would be a graceful person. But instead, I played softball. (laughs) I'm just a hot mess. Like, in life, I fall a lot. 
there was this one time my husband and I were walking out of a restaurant and it's just the two of us and we're talking and he goes to say something to me. He turns his head and I'm not there. And he's like, wait. And he's looking around for me. I had, on the ground. I had fallen into a bush. <laughs> the, the most silent fall. It was so weird. I didn't make a noise. I didn't make a noise when I hit the ground. I didn't scream. Nothing. I had this silent fall. Just like, <laughs> and he's like, oh, my God, where'd you go? And I'm like lying there trying to figure out what just happened. I still don't know how that happened. But, yeah, I swear. Do you remember I fell during a performance? Oh my gosh, wait, did you fall off the back of the stage? Okay, I did that too. So (laughs) onto your lady parts. Okay. (laughs) This story, I don't know if I've ever told it publicly. (laughs) It's one of my secret shames. Thanks for sharing it. Um, Be brave. I mean, you can edit it out, but be brave. um, So there are two stories. One, we were doing a production of Story Theater and I fell on stage hard in front of an audience. That was really embarrassing. But the other story is uh, one time I was working in play production and I was standing on the, like the outside of the stage, right? There wasn't a lot of (laughs) flooring behind me. We were up on rafters. Risers. Yeah. So like our stage was just, it was the cafeteria and we put risers up and then we built the stage on top of the risers. So there, and so we had steps that went up to the stage, but there was plenty of space to just fall off because, you know, we were Gen X. We didn't have safety railings. No, there was no safety, anything. So I was standing on the edge of the stage doing something and I went to take a step backwards, but there was nothing behind me. Well, that's not true. There was no floor behind me. (laughs) There was a pile of two by fours on the ground, however many feet below me. How how high was this stage? Um, I don't. Do you think like three feet, maybe? Oh, I. It felt much higher than that. Um. Anyway, I fell off the stage onto a pile of two by fours backwards, and it scared me so much. I was so embarrassed that I just started laughing and crying simultaneously, lying on my back on a pile of two by fours. Well, yeah, it hurt, but like there was adrenaline and shock and all of that going on. Girlfriend, the next day, my whole crotch area hurt so bad. I was like, I am so sore. I took a good look at myself. Everything was everything. Thing was bruised and swollen. Everything. Oh. All my lady bits. It's not really an easy place to get ice. Like <laughs> I told no, I mean, I told my friends. I did not tell my mom. You're like, I'm I, not going I, to the doctor. I'm not going this. to the doctor. I like, no. I don't care if my pelvis is broken. Girl, I have birthed two children. And the aftermath of that was nothing like the spill off the stage. (laughs) That was the worst. Yeah. On that happy note, um, (laughs) Kate and Doug begin to find their groove. He is able to keep up. He's so excited. The coach is so excited. We are on our way. Olympics, here we come. Yes. And in the next scene, Doug walks in on Kate, like after a shower. So he knocks. And he like knocks and opens and opens, right? Which, as any good healthcare provider can tell you, you do the assertive double knock and then you wait. 
Yes. I'm sure nobody's like, hold on, I'm not done yet. <laughs> right. But he doesn't do that. He just opens the door. But yeah, don't just walk in. No. And she screams at him, get out. And he doesn't. <laughs> right. He's like, there's I'm, there's nothing here that I have, I'm not very familiar with. <laughs> I've, I've seen Which, it all before. I don't. I I don't understand that logic because, like, as a nurse, I see all sorts of different parts of people's bodies. But like, that's it's not the issue. It's not that you've never seen it before. It's that it's you Why? as an individual. Yeah, like this is my body, and I don't want you to see it naked. <laughs> I don't care if you've seen five hundred other bodies naked. That's right. This is my body. This isn't just, we're not just talking about anatomy here. This is the anatomy that belongs to me. You haven't seen my anatomy. Like, eh, there's nothing here I haven't seen before. What? Yes, there is. You have not seen me. (laughs) (laughs) So instead of leaving, he gives her a Christmas present. It's a game sweater worn by a professional hockey player, Bobby Hull. And Doug has owned this game sweater for 15 years. He has cherished it. She really doesn't understand the significance of the gift. And he feels stupid. He goes to take it back. She's like, no, I want it. And he's like, no. And they're playing like tug of war with this thing. And finally he lets go of it. And she's like, okay. I don't think that you can blame her for not, you know, it's like if I gave you like a Favre jersey, would that mean anything to you? No, it wouldn't. I mean, I know who he is, but like, He's giving her this thing that means something to him. She then gives him a gift. It's a copy of Great Expectations. And I'm like, womp, womp. They never explain the significance of the book. I mean, like, is he supposed to be the poor orphan Pip? And she's like, Estella, you know, beautiful and cold. I mean, maybe. But, you know, they have that whole conversation because, you know, she's sitting reading Right. Like, do you even know how to read? Right. Do you read? But yeah, yeah, I mean, you make a good point. At Kate's dad's fancy New Year's Eve party, Kate and Doug share a moment in her father's office. Doug offers Kate a drink, but she tells him, no, I've never had a drink in my entire life. Right. I don't drink. So Kate then introduces Doug to her fiancé. Uh, Hale Forrester, which is the most rich person name ever. And um, and Doug doesn't shake his hand. He does that dick guy move. Right. Like that weird, like possessive, like you're my competition, which is weird because like he's not. He's her fiance. (laughs) Her fiance. (laughs) Yes. No, I know. But it's like it's such a guy move. You see right. this happen, like, in real life all oh, the yeah. time. Oh, yeah. Women don't do that. I'm sure it happens. But, like, generally Women speaking, do it differently. <laughs> when women are, like, threatened by another woman, it's not as direct, right? Like, it's not, like, a direct No, I mean, it's much scarier and far more dangerous when women do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's like it's like the sneak attack. It's like the lioness waiting in the tall grass, you know. For real. Um, versus like the two like buffalo just like knocking horns. Speaking of lioness, did you know that Myra Kelly is the voice of Nala in The Lion King? Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. It's like I knew it and then I forgot it. She has a great voice. She does. Yeah, she has a nice voice. Hale is being like pretty nice to Doug. But also, if you consider like the power differential, 
what does Hale have to be threatened by, right? He's, like, in with her and her dad. Exactly. This guy's just, like, a hockey player from the Midwest. Like, okay, I can afford to be gracious with you. Little did he know. You know, Hale does tell Doug, though, that, like, the way you've been acting has really been bothering Kate lately, and I don't like to see her upset. Doug is like, well, then I suggest you get a blindfold. Like, Kate is always pissed off. Like, it's going to be a long life, friend. (laughs) Good luck to you. Kate is very much glued to Hale at this party, but she keeps looking over at Doug with these jealous eyes as he, you know, engages in general merriment with the women at the party. I mean, he's cute and charming and he's getting attention. Of course. Yeah. And he owes her nothing. He owes her nothing. It's true. So we're now at the New Year's Eve countdown. And everyone kisses each other on the lips, which is weird. That's not a thing that happens. You, like, kiss your person at midnight. Oh, in a post-COVID world. (laughs) And soon they are face-to-face. With sparklers. With sparklers behind them. It's just so perfect. The best scene. (laughs) They have a weird little peck on the cheek with each other. It's awkward as hell. Yeah, like, they have that, like, tension of, like, we're going to kiss because, like, that's what we're doing. But, like, oh, there's so much more behind it than just a little social peck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. The next morning, Doug is packing up to go home for the weekend. And Kate arrives to his room. She notices a picture of him where he's smelling the ice. I love that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he explained, like, oh, I love the smell of fresh ice. And someone took a picture of me. It became a whole thing. And, and she tells him, oh never really thought about it before and he's like i'm not surprised and she defensively asks what's that supposed to mean and he's like i think you would skate even better if you just allowed yourself to enjoy it a little bit she's totally insulted by this and um they argue before she gives him a videotape of their greatest hits in rehearsal for him to show his family because he's going back home for the weekend By the way he reacts, she can tell he has not even told his family what he's doing. And he's like, I'll I'll tell them. I'll tell them this weekend. Like, yeah. So Doug arrives back home to his brother's bar where everyone is so happy to see him. And they think he's been away as a merchant marine. (laughs) Right. I feel like merchant marine is like the thing that people go do when they're gone for a long time inexplicably. It's far away. So this is when he admits to his brother and in in front of everyone at the bar, all the bar patrons, that he's been figure skating. And the best line, that guy in the background that goes, what? Finger painting? (laughs) His brother is disappointed. He's like, is it me? Is it something I did? And Doug tells him, like, I like it. And it's a lot goddamn harder than hockey. And what we're doing is different. And And like our costumes are going to be different. The whole thing will be different. It'll be different. And his brother's like, are they going to make you shave your legs? Eh. Which like, is that even a thing? Then do they cut to the costumes? Yes, then they cut to the costumes. I have in my notes from the original Olympic performance at the beginning. I'm Mm -hmm. like... Her outfit looks like an Elizabethan clown outfit. (laughs) It's they're so terrible. But that I mean, for sure, like they've come a long way in in recent years. Yeah. And I mean, these two, like they can't agree on costumes. They can't agree on music. He wants to do Mm. something edgy with rock and roll, something different. And she wants to keep it classic. Mozart. Mozart. In the next scene, Kate is skating 
and her old coach walks in. The one that she I know, which is so strange. Fired. He tells her, if you wanted to become a champion, you really should have come to me. I'd hate to see you embarrass yourself at the nationals with this hockey player. She's so offended. She shouts at him, this hockey player is the best partner I've skated with. He's so good. He's going to make you cry. That line is so funny to me. He's so good. He's going to make you cry. Like, are you 12? (laughs) Skating means something to these people, Kate. They can be moved to tears from a performance on the ice. But you can also tell in her delivery of the line that, like, she doesn't necessarily believe that. Like, she wants the coach to believe it, but she's afraid the coach is right. I think she's so mad because she is scared of being humiliated. Of him being right and being humiliated. And like, why did you get the hockey player to skate with you? That's so ridiculous. Right. Meanwhile, Doug overhears all of this. He gets on the ice and he tells Kate, "Uh, can you like take your ring off? It's cutting the hell out of my hand. All right. Because she has quite the rock on her engagement ring. Of course she does. So we're now at the national championships. They're practicing. They're sizing up their competition when Kate spots her old partner. Brian. Brian, who is paired with skater Lori Pekatrovsky. And uh, Doug meets up with Lori in the elevator, and these two hit it off. This upsets Kate. Yes. Kate and Hale begin arguing, and he's defending Doug, getting with Lori. Kate just can't get over it, and Hale then finally puts it all together. He asks Kate, like, are you falling for Doug? And she's like, what? Are you ridiculous? Oh, my God. That's the dumbest idea ever. And he's pretty sure their constant fighting is some kind of foreplay. Right. (laughs) Foreplay. (laughs) So this fight is pretty explosive. Hale decides that he's going back to London. He's not even going to stay for the Nationals. Yeah. Hale is no fool. He's a Harvard MBA. (laughs) Right. At the compulsories, Doug is so nervous he barfs. Oh my gosh, the look on that little girl, there's like a little girl figure skater. And like the look on her face is like, ew. (laughs) They place third. Yeah. Doug is hyped. He's like, oh my God, this was so great. Like, I wish we could go just straight into the long form. He thinks dragging out, you know, their next routine until tomorrow is the most ridiculous thing. And he's like, it just feels like, like foreplay. And her face. It's like, (gasps) what? (laughs) Because Hale had just called all that fighting foreplay. The next night, we learn that Brian, Kate's old partner, and Lori, they placed well enough to go to the Olympics. So now it's down to Kate and Doug or the Wiedermans because they only send two American teams to the Olympics. Kate and Doug go ahead and do the long form, and the crowd loves them. The judges do not. They're kind of like, like the crowd boos the scores and then the like, you know, you know, the people who provide commentary during events like this are talking and they're like, well, we know that the scores don't always reflect what they're seeing out there on the ice. And the guy's like, oh, judges are known to have their favorites. So the idea is that like, they just don't like Doug and probably honestly Kate, because she's probably really rude to them too. Yeah. But the leaderman. The Liederman twins? What are the Biederman twins? What's the Wiedermans. <laughs> like one of those. The Wiederman twins. Um, you know, everyone loves them. They're just like squeaky clean and fun. So the Wiedermans take to the ice. 
to Kate and Doug's surprise, they end up securing a spot to the Olympics because the girl Wiederman gets tangled up in her partner's lederhosen. Lederhosen. Yeah. And she falls. And so despite the fact that the judges love them, they have no choice but to give them low scores for the fall. Right. So Doug and Kate are headed to the Olympics. Here's a fun fact. Some of the commentators and reporters were real figure skating stars in real life. I don't know anything about figure skating, but... All I know is like Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya, Tanya Harding. Harding. Yeah, same, same, same. Oh, and then M- Michelle Michelle Kwan. Kwan? Yeah, mm-hmm. I know her too. Yeah, me too. That 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 is the breadth of my <laughs> ice skating. <laughs> the knowledge. breadth and the depth. So it is time to celebrate. Uh, Doug and Kate go to a bar, and yes. Kate remember has never taken a drink in her life. So Doug decides to show her how to pound tequila shots. Okay, so now. In the pre-show discussion we had, I feel like maybe, like, maybe I'm the odd person out here because I have written in my notes, like, how often in real life do you take tequila shots? Because, like, in movies, it's, like, a whole thing. And I don't know if I've ever taken a tequila shot. Okay, so um, I don't really take them either, but inexplicably last night I took two. <laughs> I was like, oh, look, I guess people do. <laughs> I, I'm I'm struggling to get through this pod today, not because I don't love this film, but because I did have two tequila shots and like four mimosas, a glass of rosé. I had a good time yesterday and um, I'm feeling it. And much like Kate, the morning after her outing with Doug. <laughs> yes, I drink enough. I didn't do what Kate did, though. I mean, it is like, this is a montage. It is a drinking, it dancing is a drinking, montage. Dancing. Discoing montage. I mean, it's like more shots, more dancing, more shots, more dancing. Kate is plastered. Doug gives her a piggyback ride back to her room. She is giggling. She loves that she can't think right now. And she likens the two of them to magnets that just needed a little flip to attract to each other. I wrote in my notes that she's like, I just, I like how I feel. Like, I think so much and I think so long and I get so tired. And I was like, same friend, same. I think (laughs) so much, so long. It's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. She tells Doug that her engagement is over and she throws herself at him. And Doug, I mean, he wants to be the good guy. Right. He does the right thing. Yes. Not like this. And you feel for him because, like, the choice that he's making is the right choice. And it's the only choice that he can make. But she also feels rejected because she doesn't understand how drunk she is. And so it's just this very hard, awkward scene where, like, he likes her. And if circumstances were different, probably that night would have gone differently. But he's like, I can't, I mean, like, no, I can't do this. But she doesn't understand why. And she just feels rejected. Yeah. She kicks him out. She's pissed. She calls him a prude. Oh, the irony. The irony. (laughs) Doug continues to drink alone in his room. And this is when Lori. Knocks on his door. Knocks on his door. Holding a single red rose. It is the most cliche, ridiculous thing. And she's like... Oh, I thought maybe we could trade secrets. And he invites her in. And like, I'm not a prude, but I just never in my life have I like even thought to like knock on someone's door like that. With a single red rose. 
<laughs> well, just with like the very clear intent of like, hi, I'm here to have sex with you. I'm just, but I'm sure there's people who do that. I'm sure there are. I'm just. It's not so different from like a booty call text. Right. But usually you have an established relationship of some sort with that person versus like, I don't really know this person. They're knocking. On right. The I'm just going to knock on the door. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I mean, I guess, but also back then there was no text. There was no sliding into anybody's DMs. DMs. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. choice did you have but to knock on their hotel room door? Yeah. So whatever. The next morning, Kate is very hungover, much like I feel this morning. I and- love when she, like, walks out of the room and is like, oh. <laughs> She's got sunglasses on. Promptly realizes she has locked herself out of her room because those pesky hotel room keys, if you don't have them on you, that door just locks right behind you. She looks chic as hell with those sunglasses. She's wearing all black. Even hungover. She looks good. Piece of vision. Yeah. So she goes to Doug's room only to have Lori answer the door. She's confused. She thinks she has the wrong room. Exactly. And um, Doug sees her and she runs away and he's chasing after her. He's just wearing a towel. They exchange heated words about how she has been treating him like a hired hand since day one. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you rejected me. And he's like, I can't switch that quickly. Like you've been treating me like shit this entire time. We then see Kate and Doug back on the ice at home and they're just pissed at each other. And the coach tells them the only way they can beat this unstoppable Russian duo in the Olympics is to do this like very dramatic routine, unlike anything anyone has ever seen in the history of ice skating, like ever. And he's got just the move. And this is when he places what looks like ancient sketches. Ancient <laughs> like Sanskrit. Like, right. They're like weathered pieces of paper on the ice that show this move he's been working on for 20 years. And it's a bounce spin into a throw. And um, it's called the Pamchenko. And it's it's dangerous. And it's honestly and impossible. Illegal. And possibly illegal. He's like, legal, not legal. Mm. You know, Kate's like, this is way too dangerous to perfect in only five weeks. And Doug is like, I can do this. Okay. I mean, sure. Like, he's not the one that's going to die. That has to fly through the air. Like, like, cool story, Doug. Yeah. And Kate gets pissed at the very notion that Doug is willing to do something. Right. He's like, I'll do it. And she's like, I might die, but like, okay, I'll do it too. You know? And But I would rather die than have you do something that I don't. <laughs> she agrees to sacrifice her brain matter, Katie, for this right. Olympic gold. Here's the question I have about this. And I get that like for movie purposes, it's much more dramatic this way. But why on God's green earth? Because he doesn't move during this process. He is stationary. So let him stand on the ice. If you're worried that if he's not standing on the ice, like his balance will be different or whatever, fine. Let him stand on the ice. But put mats down for that poor While girl. you practice. <laughs> While you're learning. I mean, I, I don't understand the technical details, but I mean, you're right. Because her head is so close to the ice. And as I mentioned before, ice is very hard. Kate, we get a montage of her getting thrown onto the ice over and over. I I get it. It's all about the release, Kate. It's all about the release. She has to fly. (laughs) Her head is inches from the ice. Right. 
And this finally ends with Kate taking a particularly brutal fall onto the ice. She's just like Dunzo. D.B. Sweeney had some thoughts about the Pemchenko, okay? He said, it breaks all the laws of physics. I mean, you can't throw something and stay still and then have it come back to you unless (laughs) it is a boomerang. That's me spinning around with a mannequin. When you see the shot, it looks like Myra. And the hardest thing we dealt with was having the wig not fly off the mannequin's head. It's just too dangerous. Spinning someone around like that with their head almost hitting the ice, if you're wrong, you could kill somebody. Yeah. And I mean, Mental Floss did some real investigative journalism here. They wrote an article called Impossible Figure Skating Moves from the Movies. And (laughs) in it, it says, the physics just don't compute. The centrifugal force built up during the bounce spin would launch the woman, assuming she is released at the highest point of the bounce spin, on a parabolic trajectory. I don't know what that means, but physics-wise, sounds real scary and impossible. It's like a parabola, right? Like an oval. The hell with physics, Kate. We're going to the gold. But yeah, it doesn't make sense that she would fly up into the air. Like, I could see if they made it that, like... She flew up, did the spins, and then landed gracefully. I mean, even that would be so hard to do. But no, the idea is she goes up in the air and he catches her. And it just—it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. It's impossible. But it's the movies. So Kate is now in her father's office with that damn empty display case that is intended to house Olympic gold. Her dad comes in. He's like, what are you doing? And she's like, why am I doing this? And he's like, well, honey, it's what you've always wanted. And I'm like, but is it? Is it what she's always wanted? We're now at the Winter Olympics in France. And uh, at a press conference, Lori tells reporters that there isn't any real competition among the athletes. They're all like family. It's just really wonderful. And, And Kate's like, yeah, like the whole thing is simply orgasmic. Right. And like all the press people are like, like, oh. That's awkward. (laughs) (laughs) So at the compulsories, he wants to keep the top button of his shirt open. She wants it closed. And they are arguing about this right up until the very second that their routine begins. They are literally on the ice. And Doug says, if it was 40 below and that button meant the difference between a long, satisfying life and a horrible cold death from hypothermia, I still wouldn't give you the satisfaction. It's a great line. And so they skate, but it's very cold. It's cold. They skate out of anger and sexual tension and just right. they're pissed. And the judges and-, and the media, everybody watching can tell. They're like, it was correct, but it was strange. <laughs> it was strange. They said they skated like two strangers and they suggested that like it didn't look like they were having any fun. Right. Not looking good. A reporter asks them about their upcoming long-form routine, and Doug tells her, yeah, about the Pamchenko, and we've got this cool move, and Kate quickly dismisses it. She's like, nope, we're pulling it. It's not ready. And Doug's like, what? So at dinner, things get really heated between Doug, Kate's dad, and the coach. Doug is just so mad that they spent all this time preparing for the Pamchenko. They're sure to win the gold with it, and you know her rich dad... Defends Kate, Kate's decision to pull it. And this is when Doug tells them that he watched the tape of Kate at the last Olympics. Her former partner wasn't the one who was at fault. 
It was Kate's fault. When he has the great line of, you said you need a go-to guy. You should have started with a go-to girl. (laughs) That's right. And that really pisses off her dad. He's like ready to kick Doug's ass for saying mean things about his precious baby girl. And this is when Kate so stoically just admits he's right. I don't like the monologue she gives here. It's very meek in her delivery. It kind of irritates me. But she basically just says, like, I wish we could go back to the beginning, win or lose, I would still be your daughter. She apologizes to Doug and she walks away crying. Like, what did you think about this scene? I actually really like that scene because she's her sort of default level is so sort of loud and shrieky that when she like finally acknowledges the truth and the reality, it's very sobering, right? She's in this mm-hmm. just very like quiet sort of accepting like he's right. He knows what he's talking about. Everything he said is true. I wish it wasn't like this. I wish it was different. And that I think this is the area where I started thinking about like these Olympians who decided it's not worth what I've sacrificed for this, right? Like when she says like, um, you know, I wish I could just be your daughter, win or lose. Like we put so much pressure on Olympians and, and athletes. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I like it. I think it was a good speech. To your point about like how much they've sacrificed, she kind of makes mention of that earlier when he's like, did you go to college? And she's like, I had great tutors. Like right. she gave up a lot. Right. And she doesn't really have a this. social group. Exactly. And for what? For something that she didn't love. Right. So this is when we see them both pensive in the moonlight. We get a little montage of them looking sad. Did you notice that she's all wrapped up in that game jersey that he gave her? Oh, I didn't. She is. Because ah. mm-hmm. I kind of thought, like, why doesn't she ever wear it at any point? But she does. She does. I just missed it. She does. <laughs> in the morning, Kate tells Doug that after their routine, she's retiring. That's it. Yeah. She's like all packed up. She's leaving the chateau. She's literally getting on a plane that night to go home. Yes. So right before their routine, and this is to be Kate's final skate, the coach urges Doug and Kate to just go out there for once and enjoy each other. Right. And right before they're about to go on, Doug says, somewhere in the middle of this, I fell in love with you. And she's like, her eyes, this face. Like, what? (laughs) What? And he's saying like, I'm saying I love you. And I'm saying it out loud. And Kate is just beyond shocked, you know? And she's like, uh, uh, we got to go on the ice. What I never noticed in this scene before is, you know, there's the official who's like trying to get them onto the ice because it's time for them to go. And when he says, I'm saying I love you, I'm saying it out loud. (laughs) The official is like right between them because they're like in profile facing each other. And the look on his face is like, oh, shit. (laughs) I have a job to do. I'm so going to get fired for this. Right, like, this is not good. (laughs) Yeah. And they're being ushered onto the ice, and he pulls her back and says, don't say we're not right for each other, because the way I see it, we're not right for anyone else. What do you think of that line? Truer words never spoken. (laughs) So Doug tells everyone around them to just shut up. Like, just give me a minute. I just confess my heart and everything. And... Kate is crying and he tells her that he needs her. And this is when she says, we're doing the Pamchenko. And he's like, what? Now he's saying it's too dangerous. Right. He's like, I didn't say all that to get a program out of you. (laughs) He's like, it's too dangerous. She's like, then we agree. We're putting it in. 
and they argue all the way onto the ice until they start the routine. They're arguing about it. And Kate, it's time. I like, I love this part though. When he's like, what difference does it make? And she's like, the difference is I'm in the mood to kick a little ass. It's like just such a great line. It's such a great line because that was what he wanted. He wanted rock and roll. He wanted something different. He wanted to kick ass. Yeah. They do their routine. It's majestic. It's seductive. And it is dangerous as hell, right? Right. We just see her. And the crowd goes wild. The crowd is going wild. And of course, because it's the movies and we're, you know, an hour and 37 minutes in, they nail it. They nail the move. No Lederhosen's getting caught up here. (laughs) In the final dip, you know, their very last move, Kate tells Doug that she loves him and they kiss. It's so great. And then the crowd really goes wild. And then we get credits. So we never actually find out if they won the gold, but it doesn't matter because they won Because they won each other. Yes. Which, I mean, they won the gold too. I mean, obviously that was the move. Right. How do you compete with that? You know, often in life, I am not a fan of like the endings with a nice big bow on them. Mm -hmm. Right. Often I'm like, come on. But every once in a while... You just want a movie that has that bow that just makes you feel good inside, all warm and fuzzy. And this is it. It hits right. And you can't help but feel good. It's not about the gold at this point. It's about being honest with each other and finally admitting your feelings and being vulnerable. Kate is never vulnerable. I mean, so in that monologue, it is the first time you really see her reckon with the truth. Right. With all kinds of things, which as anyone who has tried to not reckon with the truth knows, it's there. It's always just waiting to rear its <laughs> ugly head. You just spend a lot of energy pushing it away. And so, yeah, so she finally like settles down with it. And and I mean, you know, is this movie really fluffy? Yeah, it's pretty fluffy. But it's also, I guess maybe... <laughs> Aside from the Pimchenko, there's something believable about it. You know what I mean? And I think that that is just a credit to the two actors to bring that believability into it. Because I think in other hands that this could have just felt like a really kitschy kind of movie and not and not great. You are rooting for them. You know, right. as unlikable as Kate is, as much of a shrew as she is through this entire thing... You still want her to find her happiness. Right. Like, and because you you recognize that she's a little bit of a victim of her circumstances and that she just hasn't gotten to experience the world. So you're like, well, I want, like, I want her to, like, be able to, like, see the world the way Doug sees it. And, you know, so, yeah, I think. And to, to kind of get away from her very upper class existence. Yeah. And I think, too, what's kind of so lovely about the story if we break it down to the most like elemental level. I I just feel like Doug had to find a new dream and she in turn had to find a new dream. And yes, she probably won the gold, but at the end of it, that didn't matter to her nearly as much as this relationship. You know, Doug took a huge chance he had to really think outside the box and and put a lot of work in to get to this point. And in the end, like they both won and, and hopefully they won the gold. But like more importantly, I don't know, it just felt so good and triumphant on every level. And it's it just 
is good. I don't know what else yeah. to say. It's like for all the movie. cheesiness, <laughs> it's cheesy in all the right ways. And, right. and I love it. And of course, like the toe pick of it all. Right. D.B. Sweeney said, just after the movie came out, I remember I was running through the airport and I stumbled and seven <laughs> people yelled, toe pick. Oh, I thought it was nuts. I was glad that everyone saw the movie, but I didn't realize it had already immediately sort of embedded itself into the general consciousness. Topic. So funny. Oh my gosh. So good. So good. And you know, D.B. Sweeney, he had never skated before this film and um, he really took to it. He loved it. And ever since the film, he has been skating two times a week. Hmm. He skates once with retired NHL players in a league, which is fun. He also skates in an adult beer league. (laughs) So he continues doing that to this day and it's really fun. And of course, I mean, this movie was so good. It made so much money. They went ahead and they made three sequel films. So when I went to search it out, you know, on the streaming services, those came up and I was like, what? So I let one of them play the little preview part. You know how like when you like click on Uh it, it like automatically plays a little bit. And I was like, oof, that's enough to know that I don't need to watch that. (laughs) I never watched them. But what's so interesting is this movie came out in 92. The first sequel came out in 2006. The Cutting Edge Going for the Gold, 2006. And then there was The Cutting Edge Chasing the Dream, 2008. And then there was The Cutting Edge Fire and Ice, 2010. So they made one every two years. They made yeah. three of them since 2006. It's it's like a reboot because the concept actually in the little bit of the preview that I saw of the uh-huh. first one is that the girl was a single skater. And for some reason, she has to go from being a single skater to a to pair. A okay. Yeah. Um, pairs, doubles, whatever. I don't uh, know. I don't know what it's and, called. Tennis, skating, I don't know. Um, Love. (laughs) And and so that's the premise. And then, like, they find. And in this, he's not a hockey player. Like, this is a little hard for me. He's not a hockey player. player, He's a skater. And I'm like, that's not the same. There's no ice involved. (laughs) So D.B. Sweeney said that he and Myra Kelly made a deal during The Cutting Edge that they would never do the sequels unless they both agreed to it. He said, and we stuck to that bargain. They made three sequels and they made it easy because they offered us like no money. (laughs) And we were kind of a sideshow to the story. And I was like, well, why would we do that? That's not worth doing. So she and I both stuck to it. Nice. Good for yeah. And so, like I told you, they did reunite in 2006's Two Tickets to Paradise. He said, I thought it was a fun little shout out to the people who were fans of The Cutting Edge. I know. Now I'm like, now I want to go watch that. Yeah. Like, I think <laughs> she plays his wife and she cheats on him in that movie. So it's just like a fun little opportunity for fans to be able to see them together again. And like, here's the thing. The critics, for the most part, they liked it. Like, Gene Siskel said... The chemistry between the co-stars makes it work. And I would agree. Mm-hmm. And Roger Ebert said, I have a certain affection for movies like this. They get the job done. The cutting edge isn't really interested in discovering anything original about figure skating for the Olympics. It's all sports and romantic cliches. Yet the skating scenes are good to look at and the actors have chemistry. Yeah. It's all chemistry. 
you know, someone else called it like shamelessly watchable romantic schlock. And I'm like, that's cool. Romantic schlock is all right. Yeah. I mean, this is also the same reason that I like You've Got Mail, right? Like, good. it's just, it's not a great statement on like mankind, right? It's just fun. And it's Tom Hanks and it's Meg Ryan. I mean, I love them together, but I don't like a jerky Tom Hanks. I struggle with it. Like, it's not my favorite Tom Hanks. Right. But that's what makes it so much more fun in the end. I know. And this one, like they both have their little sharp edges and I, I don't know, the cutting edge. It's just, it's feel good, family fun. It is. It's just, it is just a thoroughly delightful and enjoyable movie. Yeah. And honestly, it is so rare that we come across a movie from that genre that ages well, where there's not something in it that makes you cringe because it's so inappropriate. You're absolutely right. There wasn't anything thoroughly cringy or super dated. The music, as cheesy as some of it is, is fun. There's some original songs in this that are really good. There's a song called Turning Circles. It's just good. It's just good. It's just, if you're ever having a really hard day and you're like, I just need something to make me feel better, boot this movie up and watch it. The cutting edge. Well, thank you all for joining us. If you're enjoying the pod, we invite you to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Yes, we really do because, you know, getting ratings is really hard. We haven't gotten a rating in a long, long time and we recently got a new one and it just like made our day to know that you guys are listening and enjoying it. It means a lot and it helps super cool people like you find the pod. So please do that. It means a whole bunch. And if you guys want to connect, you can find us on the socials. We're at the untitledgenxpodcast.com. We just, we love talking with you. And as always, we hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Don't pick. Don't pick. <laughs>